0: Superhumans. It is Boomer. We are back with another episode where we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, measurement, testing, and how to make that testing more accessible to you, frankly, at home in your own bathroom. But before we get into that, I want to shout out to another listener. This one goes out to Justin Furness for leaving a five-star review on iTunes. His subject is just incredible which is funny because his name's Justin, an incredible podcast. If you're interested in decoding your superhuman potential and looking into the tools, technology, and people pushing the limits, Boomer is one of the best interviewers I've had the pleasure of listening to. His passion and his heart for these topics are so clear. Follow him and his podcast for all the juiciest and latest info. Justin Furness, thank you, my friend. It is an absolute pleasure to get reviews like that. And if you're listening and saying, hey, I want to review this podcast, head on over to iTunes right now and just drop a little love. Maybe yours will be read next. Let's move on with today's show. My guest today is Daniel Maggs, who is the co-founder and CEO at a very interesting company, which I came to know through the Biohacker Summit this past year, in, or 2019, in Helsinki, Finland. So Bisu is a Tokyo-based startup, and I say Tokyo-based, but their headquarters is really in San Francisco, and they've got people all over the world, which has developed a smart urine analyzer, which provides a really personalized advice to optimizing your health and fitness. Daniel and I talk about the Bisu device extensively today in terms of what you can actually do with urine at home. I really pushed Daniel on the ability to read ketones and measure them at home using urine strips because there's a lot of literature out there that suggests otherwise. And his answers were quite well-researched, and I was very impressed with that. You can check out Daniel's device at the Bisu website, but also we're going to link to everything in the show notes at decodingsuperhuman.com slash Bisu. That's B-I-S-U. Enjoy my conversation with Daniel Mags. All right. So you guys know one of my favorite devices for just general relaxation, bringing me back to the present moment is of course meditation, but and that's not really a device. That's just, frankly, something I love doing. But one of the things that I use to enhance my meditation is the v Light. And we've had Dr. Lou Lim on the show before. And Dr. Lim is a brilliant mind, but also has put together this brilliant device that I love at home, and I travel with it all the time. It's called the NeuroAlpha. And the NeuroAlpha allows me to enhance my meditations. So if you want to go and check that out, it's transcranial as well as intranasal photobiomodulation, but you can check that one out at vlight.com. That's V-I-L-I-G-H-T. It's one of my favorite technological devices or purchases within the past year, and I continue to use it every other day as Dr. Liu Lim suggests on the episode. Again, head on over to VLight.com and you can use the code Boomer, that's my name, B-O-O-M-E-R, and get a nice 10% discount on yours. Daniel, my man, welcome to the show.
1: Boomer, thanks so much for having me.
0: Great to see you. So be here. you and I met originally in Helsinki, I think it was last November, had this fantastic conversation, then bounced on various parts of the world opposite to each other. And now we're finally having this call. So thank you for all your
1: patience. Likewise, made it eventually. So here I am in Tokyo and there you are in the Netherlands, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think the fact that you bring up Tokyo begs a lot of questions because you know, your accent doesn't make you sound Japanese. And so... How did you end up in Tokyo, of all places?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good question. We're technically an American company uh, run by Europeans based in Tokyo with an Egyptian name. So go figure, right? Yeah, <laughs> um, that's, that's a pretty <laughs> exotic story right there. <laughs> um, so for my, for my part, you know, I was a language uh, geek, I guess you could say, back in high school. Um, I did some of the dead languages and then some French. And I wanted to try something completely new. I started learning Japanese and just found it very new and exciting and challenging. Um, I decided I wanted to be a lawyer, um, and after practicing law, I found that was not what I wanted to be doing. So, so,
0: so mommy and daddy wanted a barrister, and you decided now.
1: Well, I think now that things have kind of come around with the startup, they they kind of got over it. But at first, they're like, you know you invest so much in this career, you know, why would you change and so on. But during that time, I got very interested in business and I wanted Mm -hmm. to create something. I wanted to try and do something new and exciting with my life. So I switched into sort of technology investment banking, also not exciting. Um, In Tokyo
0: or back in the In
1: London. In London. But these things really gave me the skills and experience that have helped what I'm doing now. And then the third jump was to move to Tokyo and join a Japanese company called DNA doing planning and marketing of new mobile services. And then during that time... I got into IoT and biosensing, and that's really when I came to this whole area. But yeah, I'm based in Tokyo, but I traveled to the US a lot. I come to Europe quite a bit now. I'm going to the UK in June, and we see ourselves as global, really. It's just I happen to live in, in Japan, but I'm not bound to it.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, Japan's an amazing place. I, I used yeah. to live in Singapore and would go yeah. to Japan once every couple of months to visit some one of my favorite clients, and so... You and I can share stories about Niseko and all of these places later, but uh, I want to, so the transition, because you, I didn't know this beforehand. You were in investment banking. There's a lure there of money, fame, riches, whatever you want to call it. Then you jumped the jump ship and went into startup land, which I know that feeling as well. Uh, Is there any sort of pattern that you had when you went from transitioning these different fields in terms of learning the new field, whether it be IOT, whether it be finance, law, et cetera, languages, any patterns there?
1: Sure. I guess it's like why I made those specific transitions. So Mm -hmm. for the investment banking side, I actually, I want to do something in business, but especially in the UK, people are a little bit more conservative about career changes. And especially if you're in law, you get a bit pigeonholed in that bracket. So, I, my math wasn't good enough at the time to do an MBA. I couldn't get through the GMAT, sadly. Um, and uh, investment banking was something that was you know, had some math to it, but also had some of the transactional aspects that I'd done in my legal career. So it was like a, a more natural bridge, an easier bridge than going trying to go straight into a business role. Mm-hmm. And I think it was more familiar to me. Uh, but the tech bank I got into was pure technology. It wasn't um, like, oil and gas or anything like that. And it was more boutique. So mm-hmm. got a lot of hands on experience and I was doing sector research. So it wasn't it wasn't like modeling all day and it was quite a bit of that. But really that's you like you know law taught me about how to write essentially. Banking taught me about how to how to count and think in terms of numbers. And then the third company was really about thinking about markets and problems and customers. So I'm not someone who I had to unlearn a lot of bad habits. Like if you see my old slides, they're so over detailed. Mm-hmm. But really it was about, I think, you know, finding my own passion and purpose and putting, you know, thinking more about what other people want and what they're looking for and, and what the customer wants rather than, you know, this very detailed and trying to avoid mistakes and having very carefully planned perspective that kind of comes from that professional background, which can be a good thing sometimes, but often is a handicap too.
0: Mm-hmm. Every entrepreneur has that moment where they're like, Hey, this is the idea. Let's go forward with it. <clears throat> we'll talk about the name here in a second and the product, but that moment for you, what did it look like? Because it, it seems very far from life as a lawyer, right? And so how, how, did, how did the idea come about?
1: Yeah, so I think there are different parts of the genesis. One is that I got really into health and fitness when I was in college. I really liked working out, thinking about food to put in my body. I feel that investing in our health is so important. My own father passed away quite young from prostate cancer after a very long career of working very, very hard to support the family, wonderful guy. But basically, he had no retirement. He he got his prognosis of the metastasis on his retirement day. Mm-hmm. So that made me think very hard about doing things with my life while I still can. And also the importance of balance and prevention and taking care of ourselves, stress, good diet, smoking, alcohol, and so on. So that was a big part. Um, I'm not saying, of course, that this product would save his life. That's not what I'm suggesting. Mm-hmm. The other part was that. Um, you know, uh, I saw that. You know, we live in an Asian society, and Japan, in some ways, is. You know, people still use fax machines in many places, <laughs> but the other times, you can see some of the future, the super Asian society. How can we help people to be healthy and productive as long as possible? It's not even about you know, US. You have more of an issue about just chronic disease in general. Japan, it's more like longevity and productivity is particularly important. So um you know how can we things like blood pressure or kidney function um many people who are in their 60s or 70s have stage 2 kidney disease it's not at the stage of being treated but if you're living to 100 you know as standard in the not-too-distant future that's going to become an issue for example mm-hmm. so um that when me think a lot and then I saw that IoT is an area, I mean, there was a lot of hype about IoT. It was a bit like how AI and blockchain used to be a few yeah, years ago, exactly. You know, five or so years ago. But you had this you know, Fitbit saturation of wearable devices, kind of generic wearables, you know, half of people say quitting after six months, but then you had this new little kind of wave of new products that really seemed to help people. So one was like this amazing cuff that went on your arm and it stimulates uh, nerves to relieve pain, for example. Like It's a very simple idea, but there's some people who desperately need that kind of product. Um, and this was you know, also a really important factor. And then the idea I was actually looking at before I started the company was remote monitoring for elderly care. And after looking at this a while, I realized that lots of people were looking at it and it sounds really trite to say it, but I was reading the book, Zero to One, and yeah. Peter Thiel says, what is the valuable business that no one's building? And I was trying to think about, well, if it's, if it's obvious that everyone's doing it, that maybe it's not the best opportunity, right? If there are guys in the US who are very strong on this and so on. So I thought about something that was more widely applicable and um, eventually came to this area of, you know, toilet and urine testing mm-hmm. this is not a new idea it's actually been around for about 20 years so i'm not the first person to think about it and i'll not be the last person but the approach we ended up bringing to it was definitely new really what we saw was that in this whole of urine testing it's an industry that's been around for decades using conventional chemistry strips testing methodology very patient-focused, very disease-detection-focused. And the people who really get that world are very focused on patients. And the people who are not in the medical world don't necessarily get the science. Or they're super in love with the technology. Like, let's make a whole toilet rather than user experience. So I think what we tried to do is, you know, bring that rigor from the medical world to the consumer world, but have an approach that's about lifestyle change and enhancing health rather than just checking for problems but with a user experience that can be used everywhere rather than just in one place and at a reasonable cost and that's how we came to you know this Mm -hmm.
0: the name bisu earlier you mentioned it's egyptian you're gonna have to give a backstory there uh what does bisu actually mean
1: Sure. So, Bisu is the name of the Egyptian god of home and health protection. Uh So, you've probably heard of the island Ibiza. Yeah. Ibiza is an old Phoenician word which means dedicated to Bisu. So, the reason is that, you know, Ibiza is a place to think about being a party island, good times and having fun, right? Enjoying life. Um, And Bisu was a god who made evil and disease go away. And because of that, people associated him with good things coming in, in return. So happiness, having fun, people would tattoo his mark on their bodies, put it in their homes. So he's someone who keeps you safe and makes life enjoyable. We want people to live healthy, happy lives, Mm -hmm. right? But the other thing that's interesting about Bisou is in Egypt, um, all the gods except Bisou had a temple like a place you would go to worship that god um so you go out of your home and then you would visit and you'll be like you go up to see the god right but Bisu is different he actually had no temple he lived in the home he was very close people's lives so he was very popular people really felt that he was someone that was there for them and accessible and and trustworthy right um he even has a rattle in his hand to like amuse babies and, and 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 keep keep them happy. Um, But the third aspect is that he's the only God in Egypt who's portrayed facing forwards like this, right? All the rest are sideways. Mm -hmm. So he was actually a foreigner. He was kind of an imported God into Egypt. So why did we choose this name? Well, Beast is a company that exists to help people live healthier, happier lives. Our product is a device that lives in the home, part of your daily life. Um, to try and stop you from getting sick, to optimize your health. And um, we bring a new approach to this very conventional area of urine diagnostics that hasn't changed for a very long time. So that's why we chose the name. Um, He's also actually, he's kind of both male and female as well. He's both God and demon. He's a slightly curious person, Mm -hmm. but we felt that this name was the best representation of what we were trying to do.
0: Mm -hmm. And... What I love about how you presented this uh, at Biohacker Summit is that you present it with a level of passion that I just didn't expect. And normally I don't like to have technology (laughs) companies on the show necessarily, but I wanted to Mm. talk to you specifically because it was new and it was innovative. But how would you actually describe the the device itself or maybe break down the device and the testing strips so that people listening who may have not seen you present it before mm. uh, can do so?
1: Sure. So it comes in three parts. It comes with a stick reader. Mm-hmm. It comes with a test stick and it comes with an app mm-hmm. as well. Okay. So the test stick is what you do use perform your test right so normally it comes flat like this mm-hmm. when you use it you pop it to a triangle shape like this mm-hmm. and then you extend it so on the end here is a pad which absorbs the urine sample the reason why this is triangular is when it absorbs a sample it swells up to about five times the size mm-hmm. so it enables you to extend collect the sample close it without having to put a cap on the end or anything else, like very simple experience. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, you place the stick on the reader. So the device is recognizing the stick, doing the test for you, sending the information to the phone. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's using a technology called microfluidics. Uh, It's like a small chip in which the chemistry is happening to give you a high accuracy result with a very small amount of sample and to enable conventional tests be read in a new way. Mm-hmm. So what the app is doing is giving you obviously a result, mm-hmm. general wellness score, mm-hmm. recommendations, detailed data on each of the biomarkers, and then obviously you've got your trend data, and then your you know, know-how know and content and so on. So We're
0: going to go um, into each of these. Now, a question for course, you on the stick. Is the stick a one-time use or is it multiple use stick?
1: It's a single-use stick. So... Mm-hmm. Um, you could test, typically we say twice a week is a good frequency. Mm -hmm. If you test first thing in the morning, it correlates well with the last three days, two to three days. Mm -hmm. If you want to test daily, the evening is the best time. We generally don't recommend during the day. Mm -hmm. So um, we're actually working on making the chip inside completely from paper as well. We care a lot about keeping things environmentally friendly. Um, The device itself... You should never have to replace this. It has a very long lifetime. The battery is a very long lifetime as well. But yes, the stick itself is a single use. And it's designed in a way that no urine ever actually goes inside the reader. It all stays in the chip. The chip just sucks the sample in from the pad to the chip and does the test, but it's isolated. So a family can use the same reader. A sports team can use the same reader. You know, This could be mounted to a wall, for example, in a company or a gym. So... Um, it makes it quite flexible. Mm-hmm.
0: Let's get into some of the biomarkers that you monitor because I know you have the initial biomarkers and you and I have discussed the longer-term plan. But in terms of initially, uh, what what are some of the things that you're, you're planning to track through urine?
1: Sure. So the first set, which is a diet testic, is electrolytes. Mm-hmm. So sodium, potassium, magnesium, calcium. Uh, pH, which is a marker of essentially a proxy for fruit and vegetable intake. Mm -hmm. And also it's useful for physical performance because it, um, exercise creates a metabolic acidosis, uh, which slows down, uh, performance Mm -hmm. in basic terms, um, hydration, um, and also uric acid. Mm -hmm. And lastly, two types of ketone. So, um, normal urine test strip is testing one ketone mm-hmm. and we're testing two types of ketone and urine. So it's a higher quality, uh, urine ketone test. So let's
0: go into the ketone part because I told you before I'm going to ask this question, ketone urinary test sticks after the first month historically have become quite useless almost. So why is this different
1: of course. I mean some people find that after one to two weeks, depending on how adapted they are. But um, there are three ketones. There's BHB, ACAC, and acetone. Mm-hmm. And acetone you measure on the breath. Essentially it's a product of acetoacetate. It breaks down. Got one right here. Um, <laughs> BHB you measure from the blood. Mm-hmm. And ACAC you measure from the urine. But the reality is that in your blood, there is both BHB and ACAC and in your urine, there is both BHB and ACAC. Um, what happens is that the longer you are in ketosis, um, BHB as a share of all ketones increases. So ACAC is actually reduced to form BHB, it's converted. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so this BHB shifts and ACAC goes down. Um, and that's the same in the urine. So over time, the amount of ACAC that's circulating and therefore excreted declines. Mm -hmm. And that's why after a certain period of time, you see less ACAC in your urine, less hetoacetate. That's why the strips seem to stop working. Also, the classic urine strips have a very, um, it's quite a high detection point. Mm -hmm. So without wanting to get too technical, it's 0.5 millimoles per liter. And the threshold Ah. is about Mm 0.1. So... The test we have is a BHB test at a threshold of 0.1 millimoles, so the same as the renal threshold, mm-hmm. and then the ACAC test. What, what you see is um, in prolonged ketosis that BHB goes up and ACAC goes down. Um, so that's... A long short of it is you can test earlier than you can with a normal urine ketone test and longer than you normally can as well. Awesome. Um, there are some factors that can affect things. So, for example... Um, uh, the ratio between the two ketones changes consistently whether you're in early or late ketosis. But the total, um, for example, there are some studies that show in people in prolonged ketosis, they actually uh, oxidized or used up fewer ketones as a potential total, total ketones in long-term ketosis. So one one thing people say often is that, oh, you have fewer ketones in the urine because you're. Um, using more ketones. Your body's using the ketones up, so therefore they're less. And that may or may not be true. So there's some situations in which it's true and some situations in which it's not. One factor that affects this is the availability of carbohydrate in the body. Mm-hmm. But what always remains consistent is the ratio between these two ketones based on the stage of ketosis. So long story short, um yeah we want to give people a non-invasive high quality alternative to the blood test. The blood test is fantastic. The breath test is great, but we also want to give you other things at the same time because tracking ketones is important. But
0: doesn't tell you where my ketones
1: at, where am, where are my electrolytes at, where's my hydration at? With one test, getting as much of the picture as possible.
0: Mm-hmm. And we'll link, if it's okay with you, to some of these output screens um, in the show notes, but. On the on the output screens, do you also make dietary? How, what do the dietary recommendations look like? Because if you're tracking something like pH, that could give you hints as to uh, how much, for instance, either how much somebody's working out. It doesn't give you the full picture, uh, but it also can give you hints as to what types if are they overeating on protein, for instance.
1: Yeah. So, say, you know. We, we look at the urine data, but we can also look at the non-urine data. So we're going to provide an Apple Health integration as standard, mm-hmm. and some of the data you can get from that is your ac- exercise data, right? So if you're physically active, we will interpret your pH and hydration readings differently, even your sodium, than if you're not. So if you're going to be um, uh, you know, exercising a lot, to be losing a lot of sodium through your sweat for example Mm -hmm. right so the recommendations for the intake and also the ratio of sodium to water are going to be different than if you're more sedentary Um, likewise if you're young versus if you're older likely to have more blood pressure issues and so on so we look at the urine data we look at the activity data um, body weight as well um we're looking at the weather data as well so if you're dehydrated, there could be a number of reasons right we try and understand why, so have you been highly physical active, has the weather been hot? Are there signs for example that you've been drinking alcohol so if your um pH drops very quickly in response to alcohol intake and typically urine's darker or more concentrated so if we're not sure, we'll also ask questions in the app okay. um so that we can train the app to understand your particular patterns mm-hmm. um so That's The idea is to, yeah, we look at the test results, but we want to look at things in context. Um, Drinking alcohol can also increase magnesium excretion, for example, regardless of intake. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a matrix of different factors that come together, but we present these things in the simplest way possible.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, the
1: future, (laughs) I mean, when
0: I think about the amount of urinary biomarkers out there that you could potentially do, uh, some hormone-related, some not, uh, but talk us through kind of where the sort of path is from here, because mm. I, I mean you've got a great great device potentially coming out later this year, uh, but you you can add biomarkers over time. Where where do you want to add first?
1: Yeah, so this year is just starting with a diet test stick. So it's the electrolytes, ketones, pH, hydration, uric acid. So this can be used for you know, athletes for endurance, improving their endurance, exercise performance, for keto dieters, also for people who want to take better care of their health. Um, and that, we aim to go on sale around October, so we'll be doing some public beta before then. We're doing some private beta so far. Mm-hmm. Um, if you need a private beta, sale.
0: I'm throwing myself out there.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, without getting into too much detail, the challenge for us is getting batch production. So we're validating the mass manufacturing method of the chips, mm-hmm. and as soon as that's finished, and we've um, then we can move a lot faster. So we're getting closer and closer. We're very excited, but that's the main challenge that we're getting through at the moment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, in terms of the roadmap, so diet test this year, and then this is going to expand from you know more of an early adopter device to something for the whole family. So we have a number of extra tests that we've got in the pipeline. One is. Um, a pet urine test. One is a baby diaper with an embedded removable testic. So people have tried doing diaper testing before, but it doesn't work because um, when you embed the chemicals directly, firstly, any heat and humidity will damage them or cause an early reaction. And they cannot control, they do not know when the baby actually peed, so they cannot take the measurement at the correct Mm -hmm. time. So this overcomes that. And then the third one is a saliva test for oral health. So you're looking at markers like pH, calcium, phosphate, and blood, essentially um, the risk of cavities and erosion, and also um, signs of gum disease. Mm-hmm. And then pregnancy and ovulation. And then, you know, those would be sort of the, the five new testics. Mm-hmm. And then based on this data, you can have. Um, You know, consultation with the doctor, a dentist, a vet, a personal trainer. um, And if you want to purchase ingredients or medicine or supplements, um, and also have some community features around that as well. So that's really the plan to go from diet testing this year to a range of tests for the whole family next year. And ultimately, we'd love to do things like cortisol, testosterone, estrogen. Um, Those are pretty complex tests to do. Um, it's pretty hard to do it based on on the classic measurement method, but um, yeah, eventually that's that's the aim.
0: So there's um, there's a number of companies out there right now who are mm. doing. Uh, is te- you see this quite often in kind of, for instance, genetic testing or some variant of microbiome testing, whereby. Mm. Uh, They are taking all of that information and quote-unquote prescribing a diet, if you will. Mm. Let's walk through the differences between BISU and what those classical approaches are. Because I I think that what you have here is pretty interesting in comparison.
1: Yeah, so just to be very clear, we don't prescribe the actual meals that you should eat. Um, this is a very complex area and people have many different preferences. You know, we're actually more interested in helping diet apps to give you better advice rather than telling you exactly what to eat. So when we make recommendations, we don't recommend meals, we recommend ingredients. Mm-hmm. Then go away and make what you like with it. So I won't name the name right now, but there's one particular app we're hoping to have an API integration with whereby you can enter your diet information in the app, have it pass through to Bisu, you know, Recommend based on the data and then pass you back to the diet app. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the diet app space is very, very crowded. Diet recommendation (sighs) space is very, very crowded. What we're really saying is these are the things that your body is lacking to reach your, you know, health, weight loss, and performance goals. Let's make a note of those. And now you can tune your diet better than you were doing before. But we're not going to tell you exactly what to eat. Just hear the raw materials. Now go and, you know, Go and tweak your diet. Um, That's kind of our approach. Um, The other thing is that we're also aware we're moving into a multi-device, multi-data world, right? So our data could be combined not just with activity, sleep, um, heart rate, and so on, or glucose multi-data, but there are also companies providing other really good blood testing, microbiome testing, genetic testing services. I think the current state of microbiome and genetic testing data or at least for diet recommendations is a bit shaky. I agree with you. So, very much so. genetic <laughs> testing, yeah, I think when we have more advanced epigenetic testing, that's going to be a lot more robust. Mm. Um, Tim Spector, a professor in the UK, has done some very good research showing that genetic factors had some influence but it was pretty small compared to the, the gut biome. Mm-hmm. And even in the gut biome space, um, one really interesting startup called BiomeSense is trying to do toilet-based microbiome analysis and the reason they started this the founder is a 20 years plus microbiome researcher is in the gut health space it's really hard to get enough clinical data for your study because compliance is really bad people do not want to keep collecting their poo and sending it in right but the gut biome is changing daily so he made this startup to get continuous data so when people are say taking a sample um 20 study subjects who provided one or two samples and then trying to tell you what to eat based on that it's like yeah but no Yeah. so I think in three or so years time when I think the epigenetics field has matured and guys like BiomeSense have matured I think there could be a really exciting potential to combine some of these services together to have deeper insights like there was one company in Seattle called Araval who sadly closed down last yeah, year, that was, but they were really huge pioneers in that space mm-hmm. of like multi-device, multi-data deep health analysis. Mm-hmm.
0: And Araval is like a very interesting company to me uh, mm-hmm. on many different fronts. And I agree with you, genetic testing, unless you get one of these ones where you're analyzing multi-snips, some rant here, what pisses me off about it is it. when you have when you have like a dietary fat recommendation and you're low, medium, or high, and it's based on one SNP. That to me seems very um, asinine in terms of a recommendation, and unless that SNP maybe may APOE, but it still needs to encompass a lot more to me. And I, I'm looking forward uh, to the day where we're able to not just stack genetics and epigenetics, but also, I mean, some of the stuff going on in metabolomics and what you're doing right now is very interesting. Oh my god, to yeah. It's fascinating.
1: Omex is an amazing field. Um, there's one person I'd highly recommend people to look at, Professor uh, Mike Snyder at Stanford. Yeah. He's, he's a machine. He's like, not only... He's the head of the center for, I think it's genomics and personalized medicine. He's not only a really advanced uh, multi-omics researcher, so that means like genomics, metabolomics, proteomics, all that stuff together. But he's also like a legit biohacker who applies his own science. So I think he diagnosed his own Lyme disease, like by strapping seven wearables to his body for like six months. Yeah,
0: he's got this fascinating quantified self story. It's just he. It's funny because usually when people say a name two or three times, I'll reach out. And I think this is the third time where Mike Snyder has come up in conversation. Oh, yeah. so oh, yeah. hopefully I'll try and get him on the podcast soon. Uh, but this is this is fascinating. Now, when we look at your device and just kind of integrations, we were talking earlier about feedback loops. First, I would love to hear how the Bisu makes that feedback loop shorter, but plans for integrating with other, you mentioned some of the technologies like Apple Health, for instance, but like other wearables. All right. So combining the V-Lite, which I mentioned in today's intro with another favorite of mine is a good way to really put yourself on the path to a good night's sleep there's a lot of discussion around blue light out there in the light world, in the biohacking space, in the health optimization space in general. And all of us who are high performers tend to be on our technological devices until very late in the evening. Well, now there's a hedge for that. One of my favorite hedges are actually pieces of anything that I've bought in the past several years has been blue light blockers. But the realm or spectrum of blue light blockers, pardon the pun there, is very, very broad. You have a lot of garbage, but you also have a lot of very good, just really good companies putting stuff together. My favorite in this space happens to be Andy Mant and his wife's company, Blue Blocks. And Blue Blocks ensures that I block the right spectrums of both blue and green light. And he tests this absolutely rigorously. So, if you head on over to blueblocks.com, it's B L U B L O X.com, use the code DS15, and you're going to get yourself 15% off your next pair of blue blockers. Let's get back to the show.
1: Yeah. So, with wearable devices, I mean, I use an Oura ring myself, for example. Me too. Um, uh, so if you're looking, let's take, for example, someone who's running marathons. So you want to set up your lifestyle and diet to perform at your best. So you need to make sure you're getting the right quality of sleep. Um, you need the right amount of water and electrolytes in the right ratio. You also want to make sure that you have enough fruit and vegetables, fruit and vegetables in your diet so that, how can I say, um, there is acidity from your diet. And there's acidity generated through exercise mm-hmm. so there's a dietary acidosis and a metabolic acidosis just to be clear i'm not saying everyone has to be alkaline diet i don't sell alkaline diet products i'm not from that school what i'm saying is your body uses the same substance to buffer or deal with that acidity it's called bicarbonate so there's a limited supply in the body and the more acidity there is in your diet the less bicarbonate is available to deal with acidity in the muscles. That means muscle firing is impaired more quickly. So long short of it is um, having a good amount of fruit and vegetables in your diet, especially relative to your dietary protein, is going to maximize your physical endurance. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another reason to look at having that biomarker in the right range. And then, of course you know, how long and how intense is the exercise as well will also be a factor. So I think we can also, by when, when we're customizing the setup, we're thinking more about also how to improve the onboarding experience about, okay, yes, you run, but what type of training do you do? Do you do sprints? Do you do long distance, medium distance, and so on? Those could be tailored. But just to be clear on this, um, all the biomarkers we're testing are all, known from clinical practice. Yeah. We're not claiming to discover any biomarkers that weren't previously known. Some of those we're taking to the wellness side. Some of those um, are making available in a home context where previously they're not available. Like electrolytes, you can't test them with a conventional urine test strip. Yeah. Um, but one thing we don't have right now is like thousands of people's of data to build like really intricate models. Like that will have to come through the beta testing and through the initial launch. Mm-hmm. So one person we do have a good relationship with is uh, name's Mike Bergeron. He's a leading expert in the hydration sports performance field. And one of the things we will do in the second half of this year is not only doing the beta testing, but actually doing studies to gather, uh, build better data, data models. So we have enough good research and data to give good key recommendations, but we want to take that to the next level. So just to be clear about where we're at on that. Of
0: course, of course. Uh have you guys looked at coefficient of variation, for instance, of some of the, the returns of your on your data points? I'm just kind of curious if that's something you guys are actively tracking.
1: So I think you're asking me about the objectively verified outcomes of tracking and acting on this data.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, well, I guess making sure that first the data itself as, it, as you collect it, how accurate is that? Like maybe you have p-values oh, okay. and stuff like that.
1: Absolutely. So um, for the measurement itself, a classic urine test strip is using a pretty crude measurement where essentially you have the strip and light is reflecting from the surface of the strip and you're measuring the color of that light. Mm-hmm. So you do it with a smartphone, for example, or a reader. And that gives you a what's called a qualitative or a semi-quantitative measurement. One of the issues with this is that the... Reaction starts from the exact point in time that the urine comes into contact with the test strip and that it has to be measured at an arbitrary cutoff point. So you're basically relying on the user, whether they're being busy or tired or whatever, to every single time get it on point. Mm-hmm. And the reality is it's not how happens. So it's kind of more or less accurate. It's roundabout, but it's not particularly precise. What we do is... We don't take pictures of the reaction. We actually take a movie. Mm -hmm. So with this chip, the sample is collected on the pad. No reaction actually starts. And when it's sucked inside the chip, we look at the sensors in real time. So we can see that it can get wet. And for each one, we can track the progress of the reaction over time. So it gives you a lot more resolution. It gives you a lot more data points per test. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have the final accuracy data for all the biomarkers right now because we're doing the calibration with this um, production device Mm -hmm. but I can tell you that will be at least as good as a clinical grade analyzer if not better so we're not worried about the accuracy accuracy part basically you can't mess up the test collect a sample put it on the reader Um, you can't get the timing wrong you can't do it too early you can't do it too late it's basically taken off your hands, mm-hmm. so that's that's the least of our So worries. a
0: traditional test may, they may have a certain amount of variance that taking this movie may eliminate, is that right?
1: Yeah, so the important thing to understand is the chemistry itself is not perfect, okay. right? So um, it's not like wet lab chemistry reagent A, reagent B um, this is something that is good enough to get good quality data in, in a Home context but when you're using this crude measurement approach the classic one it's very it's very it's quite a wide margin of error so we reduce that margin of error but for traditional urine testing it's not really an issue because generally speaking you want to see if something is there or not mm-hmm. like do i have glucose and okay i need my doctor to check me do i have protein okay i might have kidney issues do i have white blood cells or nitrates. Okay, I might have a urinary tract infection. Like It's enough to know that something's basically there and roughly how much there is. But if you want to make adjustments to your diet um, or your training and then see even small changes the next day, you need a finer level of detail. And that's why we spent so much time working on making the technology more accurate. Mm
0: -hmm. I love the fact that the feedback loops are really short. If you're doing this twice a week you're already knowing if the changes, you can start to see some of these things, right?
1: That's the whole idea. That's amazing. That's the whole point.
0: That's amazing. Um, Let's go on to CES because you've had a big year so far, my friend. Um, In fact, it's quite a, quite a way to launch off the year. You were there, you received some awards. What was it like? What was the feedback you were getting? What was the award itself?
1: Yeah, it was great. Um, it was great recognition. The award was called the uh, the IHS Market Innovation Award. Basically, you went to a media event called Showstoppers, where we had a booth, um, lots of press contacts, and then they had judges going around evaluating the products that were there. They had some prime materials as material uh, materials as well, and they chose us in the health and fitness category as the best product in that category. Mm-hmm. You know, there obviously there are you know people with different opinions, but I think it's really important for us to raise awareness and kind of get on people's map. And that was a great first step. And having done that, it's made it a lot easier easier for other people to then cover us, talk about us, share us as well. So that was huge for us. Um, CNET also covered us, one of the top five health tracking devices at CES. Um, that makes it easier to approach other media. Um, and I also had some really good meetings with some companies that we're hoping to do some collaborations with on some of the new testics I mentioned. Again. So, And then lastly, we met the guys at Beta, and we're now actually going into Beta stores this month in SF, LA, New York, Austin, and Seattle. So give it about two weeks. Uh, we had some delays in China due to the, uh, the mm-hmm. virus, but um, you'll be able to actually interact with the device in person and see it. So,
0: Awesome. Daniel, I, I want to just, you know, because you've mentioned, obviously it's not just you at BSU, you mentioned your team. How big is the team right now?
1: So right now we have, I'd say about six people. Mm-hmm. Um, myself, CTO, a uh, Polish guy, we have a Danish mechanical engineer, Japanese designer, American software engineer. Um, we have a content marketer and now a digital marketer. So about six, seven people. Excellent. Uh, some are contractors, but... We're going and um, yeah, we're just having a lot of fun right now. So,
0: <laughs> And the design of the device is quite beautiful. So shout out to your designer on that one.
1: Uh, yeah. Japanese are great. For
0: that. <laughs> I'm dating a Korean designer and she's wonderful with all things design. So uh, wanted to just transition now into a final few questions. Mm. And this has been an absolute pleasure and really a good education on the testing market in general. Uh, For you, what do you do to enhance your focus? Because it seems like you bounced from a few different jobs and now have landed in this area and you have this hyper focus on a very specific goal. What do you do to do that and to enhance it?
1: I'm really glad you asked. And it's something I've been thinking about myself more. But when I was in my 20s, I think I was really trying to do everything. Mm -hmm. I was trying to fill all my time to be productive all the time, to, you know, have my job, I was working out, I was doing like a, sort of a semi-startup in the evenings and stuff and I got a lot done but I didn't think I was particularly happy and now I actually do less. You know, I still go to the gym, I have my startup, um, I have my wife, she's wonderful and I see my friends. So, you know, I think I'm focusing on quality rather than quantity of life. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, my sleep is important, but also like every so often i have a cigar, right? It's something I keep in moderation, like once a month, but in terms of like stress, relaxation, have a massage, I think health should be something that is, you know, honest and natural, not neurotic. Yep. Um, there are some things where striving perfection is good, but there are some parts where it doesn't bring happiness. So, I think you know, humans are a bit yin and yang, we're good and we're bad, but overall we're human. So I try and keep the balance in my life about how, how I behave, and I try not to be politically correct, you know, too politically correct, but I also try to be sensitive at the same mm-hmm. time. I feel really it's about balance. And I was talking to um, uh, Molly Malouf, actually yesterday on a podcast yeah. I recorded, and she's someone who started out as a medical doctor and then moved to being a biohacker and now it's really focusing on a wider message for just healthy healthy living. You know, biohacking being more about, more than just performance, but being about, you know, a holistic approach to life. I One of the things I like most at the Biohacker Summit is it really had this feeling that it was more than just killing it. It was like, we're physical, you know, mental, social, and a little bit spiritual too. Mm-hmm. And that I think is a really good way to look at life. So... I feel slightly more chill about it, but I think it's actually helped me perform better as a result.
0: Well said. And, you know, I couldn't agree more about the Biohacker Summit aura of it, um, spelled differently than the company. But like just that essence of working in the spirituality, the nature, all of that stuff is very... Mm. So, Cause I came into it probably like most people with all these ideas of technology and things and just pushing myself harder and harder, but how to just enjoy is, is very interesting mm. to me. What book has, uh, has significantly changed your way of thinking?
1: Ooh, that's a real question. So it's not a recent book, but it was the book that actually got me started on this whole journey. And it's called The Second Bounce of the Ball by a guy called Ronald Cohen. And Ronald Cohen is the father of the private equity industry. So not what you necessarily associate with being innovative. And he's quite, how can I say, blue blood, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But he, people often write books about entrepreneurship and they talk about, you know, this is what you need to do to start a startup, and, you know, here's like, here's your lean startup methodology. But he doesn't talk about that. He says, what kind of people are entrepreneurs? What is the kind of person you need to be? And it's like a mirror, like reading that book. is like, do I see things of myself in here? I mean, he's slightly more, how can I say, of the charismatic leader type, but he doesn't overstress that. But when I read this book, my friend gave it to me, it gave me this that first feeling of belief that maybe I could do this too. And then, so the qualities, right? Like in a person. And then the second bounce of the ball is about, it's easy to see where the ball is first going to bounce, but it's hard to know where it's going to bounce next. Mm -hmm. And I think this is really the skill entrepreneurship is you want to be early, but not too early, right? Um, You want to be the second bounce, not necessarily the third bounce. And, um, you know, I think some things like I've had to learn to be, you know, keep things simple and, and think more about sales and marketing and engaging. But one thing I always felt is that I could see some kind of trend ahead and and, you know, try and find that path that isn't obvious, right? Like if something's obvious, it's probably not an opportunity. Yeah. I feel the same thing about Japan. Like some people say to me, Oh, go to Silicon Valley. This is where the innovation happens. You know, you should go Silicon Valley doing a startup brand. I'm thinking, well, yeah, yeah, but if it's so obvious that you should go Silicon Valley, is it really an opportunity anymore? Like it's very expensive. It's very competitive. Um, It's its own bubble. But like, um, this is how I try to think about things. And that book for me was, you know, what I can say is if anyone is like curious about doing a startup, it's very easy to get busy with doing Mm -hmm. or even to think about what's my idea, like looking at ideas, um, and it's true that you should look at problems rather than ideas. But I think the most important thing is to start by looking at yourself because all a company is, is a group of people who decide to get together to solve a problem. And how that turns out is really based on who you are. So you should really know yourself, be honest with yourself about who you are as a person, or your flaws and your strengths, and and then take it from there. And the company is really it's an expression of who you are as a person, like we express ourselves through our work. So I feel that this is a really great book to examine yourself and look at the areas that maybe are strong and the areas that might need work.
0: Brilliant, my friend. That was extremely well said. Um, You may be biased to this next question, but what about the health world really excites you right now?
1: I thought you were about to ask about Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> I was just in London two weeks
0: ago and I was, it just seemed like nothing changed, to be fair. But uh, we, we can talk about Brexit if you want. We haven't really
1: talked about it that open. So let's, um, let's come back to the healthcare industry. Yeah. So I want to stress first that I'm originally from Britain. I live in Japan. I love living there, but I also love doing business with the US. So anything I say that sounds less than positive about the US is no judgment at all on American people. You guys are fantastic. I wouldn't be doing my startup if it wasn't for the US most likely, that whole culture. So I'm supremely grateful. But I really feel... Firstly, we feel very strongly that our product must be as cheap as possible because the people who most need our product are not the biohackers. They're not the athletes. They're not the performance enhancers. They're the poor... They're the sick, they're people who don't know how to take care of themselves, who don't have the means. So I think if we made a product that was expensive or was just just stuck in that kind of bubble, we really would have failed on what we were trying to achieve. So that's something that's very important. But I feel that, <clears throat> you know, probably the most important innovation that people need in the UK in the US is access to healthcare. I often go to medical events where and especially when I go to medtech events, people talk about improving the quality of care, you know, improving outcomes of patients. But patients, for them, are the people who are able to pay for the treatment. They're not the people who can't pay. And I very rarely hear people talking about access to healthcare. So I feel that, you know, um, single payer healthcare is 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 cheaper. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's even Yale studies sh- showed that. Um, people obviously should have a chance to have private healthcare as well. I wouldn't I wouldn't destroy that. But that's extremely important. And then I think, you know, one potential opportunity for technology could be, you know, could we have telemedicine driven healthcare, right? Like, could we have an insurance program where you pay a monthly premium and I get a abusive device, I get a CGM, I get a toilet gut biome sensor, I get you know, uh, HRV monitor and, you know, I might lack some, um, some coverage in other areas, but the focus is really on prevention Mm -hmm. and there's a constant stream of data that's going to a doctor or to a call center and so on. Like I feel that could be a really exciting opportunity to make a change. Right. Again, it shouldn't be something where people are going crazy monitoring their data, but um, that's really, really what I feel. I mean, I don't claim to be, a deep expert in the healthcare field. It's a complex area. Um, one thing I can say is that there's a very good reason that we're not going to the diabetes market first. One, of course, is that we want to get people before they get to patients. Yeah. right? Yeah. But the second is that if you want to build a startup on something that's going to prevent or treat diabetes or other chronic disease, you basically have to show that over at least a year people who use your product and service have significantly better outcomes compared to people who don't. So you have to make your product and then you have to do like a year of clinical trials at least to validate it. That's like a very high risk proposition. Mm -hmm. So, and even if you do that, the guys who are like software only, like Amada Health, for example, they're charging like $15, $20 a month and that's software only. And they're just about making margin, right? So I feel that the promise of these devices is great but the reality for a business in the diabetes area is very difficult and i believe it will happen eventually i think we also have a great part to play in like extending healthy life expectancy healthy aging Mm -hmm. um but that diabetes healthcare market is very challenging but the really sad thing is just i had um chat with a, a wonderful doctor he's a lovely man um he's high experience and he's done great work but like he the idea of prevention just didn't seem to register yeah. with him I was like well this device he's like yeah but you could pair it with this drug I'm like yeah why don't we just stop them taking the drugs like no but you could have this and this and it wasn't he was he wasn't he was stupid at all but I think his framework was so much like we have patients we prescribe them drugs how can we help them take drugs better like that's that generation right so really i would probably finish by quoting what Molly said is that the hope is that doctors can start to provide, prescribe food and lifestyle advice as medicine. Right. Yeah. Um, but most doctors are not, are not dietitians. The one thing I would say is I also feel very strongly that people in the wellness industry really should not bash doctors. Like I see it quite a lot. It's yeah. like, they lied to us, you know, what your doctor hasn't told you. And it's, a bit of sensationalism to sell programs and books and all that stuff and like I kind of get it and there's definitely some truth in that but people become doctors generally because they want to help people like they really do care about helping so what I most want to see is a marriage between wellness and the medical industry the medical industry needs more compassion it needs to look more at prevention it needs to look more at you know before you get to the drug stage right the wellness industry needs more rigor um, it needs more science, um, but I think if these two can combine, it will be a wonderful, it will be a wonderful thing. So, those are kind of my current thoughts.
0: I, I love it, and some of those things, you kind of hear it somewhat being played out, maybe and not as as fully as we would like. But like Singapore giving access to Fitbits to citizens, I don't necessarily like the prices that they're charging, but it's a step in the right direction or some of the things that are going around on community healthcare that like James Maskell and others are leading in California. uh, You know, it's, it's certainly an exciting time to be alive for an industry that probably needed innovation about 30 years ago. Uh, So (laughs) it's good. Uh, Daniel, where can people find out more about you, the device, get in touch, et cetera?
1: sure so you can go to our website at www.bisu.bio that's bsu.bio. Um you can also send me an email at daniel at bio. very happy to talk answer any questions um, people want to beta test they can let me know i can put you on a priority list um, and then we have a facebook page you can set for Bisu as well so uh, we have regular progress updates um we have a priority list for the beta and we'll also be launching a new blog uh, by the end of this month with podcasts, um, some great content as well. And um, yeah, we're just very excited to connect with people who are in the space and and want to make the most of their health and and try out some cool new tech. Beautiful.
0: So. The show notes for this one are decodingsuperhuman.com slash BISU. That's B-I-S-U as Daniel just laid out. But Daniel, this has been an absolute pleasure, man. Uh, Like you took us through the testing industry. You gave us a lot of information here. And I really appreciate your thoughts and candor, frankly. So thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: To all the superhumans listening out there, have an epic day. So as you can tell, Daniel's really well-researched and I love the way he organizes his thought, the way he articulates his position, and how much evidence he has to back his position. Bisu is a very cool company that is going to launch their first product, I believe later this year, and I'm hoping to get my hands on one before it goes to market. But Daniel, I'll call you when that happens. This is a very exciting space. Measurement in general and being able to measure more frequently to obtain more information about oneself is just so, so useful. So if you enjoyed this episode, please share whatever you learned on the social medias. Instagram, LinkedIn tend to be my two most active ones. Instagram a little bit more social than LinkedIn, but share what you learned. And if you are compelled, head on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. all these reviews really, really help. Thank you so much, superhumans. Have an absolutely epic day and choose health.